Every Sunday we open up God's Word because we believe that through it, He, by His Holy Spirit, communicates to us, help us to know Jesus Christ more. And so we've been in a series called Not Your Own, Real Freedom in the Age of Self. Uh, our desire is that we would understand more that we live in a world that forms us to believe and live as though we are our own and belong to ourselves while also blinding us to the fact that that kind of belief brings about toxic fruit in our lives. That we fundamentally as human beings, regardless of if you believe in Jesus in this room, living for yourself under the presumption that you exist by and for yourself will undermine your very humanity. It'll make you miserable. It will create um, uh, uh, chaos and turmoil in your relationships, in your marriage, with your kids as a parent, with your parents as a kid, as a church community, us in workplaces, and on and on and on. We believe that if we can be awakened to the good news, TCLA, uh, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, we will begin to live lives more thoroughly aware of the beautiful truths of the gospel, that what we believe will become real to us, and we will be prepared to be his hands and feet, the hands and feet of Jesus out in the world. Amen? That's right. <laughs> Today, um, Today is an exciting topic. Uh, we're going to seek to understand how belonging to God dictates how we relate to authority. How belonging to God dictates how we relate to authority, how we submit to it, and how we steward it. How we submit to it, and how we steward it, that we might become wise, godly, and fruitful people. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? embodying this kind of reverence that we believe uh, God merits and is worthy of. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one up here on the table that has communion on it. We'll have the text on the screen behind me. Let me read this. We will pray, and you can take your seat. Titus 3, verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul writes to his protege Titus on the island of Crete, remind them, that is the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Lord Jesus, we ask that today, this morning, you would tip over the first domino in our hearts uh, to make us a kind of countercultural people who are truly free, free in you, to humbly submit to authority over us, ready to steward the authority you entrust to your people that can transform the authority structures in the world. Grant us the kind of freedom and joy and true peace 
that doesn't need to find its own kind of autonomy to believe it can be happy, but can humbly submit to you in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. All right. My name is Devin. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm a pastor here at the Commons LA. Um, would love to say hello to you afterwards. Forgot to introduce myself at the start. Uh, in 2019, back when the world was sane, uh, there was a rally called Storm Area 51. Back when the world was sane. On Facebook, it had 2 million RSVPs. <laughs> How many maybes did it have? <laughs> um, and on September 20th, 2019, 150 people showed up. <laughs> we have a better RSVP rate <laughs> than they do. Um, you can imagine what that crew looked like. If you've seen Independence Day, that old movie, glorious movie with Will Smith in it from 1990s, uh, probably lots of RSVP or um, uh, RVs and crazy, unique types of people. A couple of, of little vignettes from that gathering, uh, from that rally. They drive out into the desert. Uh, one young woman was arrested for putting her toe across the boundary line into Area 51. And if this does not perfectly sum up the differences between men and women, a young man was arrested for urinating across the line. <laughs> you see, um, this kind of belief is not new to like post-2020 COVID world, that conspiracies abound and the most dignified, noble task is to like undermine sources and structures of authority in the world. As though a, a world without authority, no hidden secrets in Area 51, we know aliens are there. As though that's like the highest human freedom. As, that, as though that's the most dignified way to exist in the world. It's just tear down authority structures. Because here's the thing, here's the sobering reality. You can rebel against authority all you want and they'll still arrest you if you put your toe across the line, authority exists in the world, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. But the world tells us, steeps us in this kind of narrative that autonomy as a human being is where we find meaning and value and joy as though if we could just break free from every obligation and every structure of authority, then we'll be happy as though we know what is best for us. See how that goes for you when you decide to sleep through work. See how that goes for you when you decide, nah, I'm not gonna write the paper. There is authority whether we like it or not. The world was created by God with authority in it. But here is the real world. Authority really does exist. So. You can choose uh, to rebel against your boss. You could choose to rebel against the government. You could choose to storm the Capitol. You could choose to go out looting and trying to uh, uh, break every sort of peaceful protest down. 
You can choose to gossip about your boss and be a little more secretive about your rebellion. But they will still fire you and you won't have a job. You could choose to ignore Jesus' teaching as a Christian. And if you don't abide by his teaching to forgive, you'll find yourself an angry person, enslaved to the anger that the enemy would love to increase in your heart. Our actions have effects in the world because God has created the world with structure in it because he, in his sovereign goodness, decided structure is better than chaos. God is a God of order. And here in Titus, we read about what it looks like to have surrendered your life to Jesus as a believer, as a follower, saying, I'm yours. You're my hope. I give myself over to you. But then here's the thing. We need to actually follow our Savior. How common is it today? This is, it's tragic that it's become so common to reject that, the label of Christian and call ourselves followers of Jesus and then not give ourselves to actually even know everything he commands of us let alone to obey it. We can call ourselves followers of Jesus now in American evangelicalism without actually following him. So today, my hope is that we would see that impulse in us to reject authority, that impulse in us to desire autonomy is actually slavery. There's a word in scripture for that kind of autonomy. It's alienation. Alienation is fundamentally contradictory to human flourishing. It's why solitary confinement makes you go crazy. It's why shame and uh, social, social pressures seek to ostracize someone who is just out of line and destructive to the community. We understand implicitly that a penalty for evil, a penalty for sin is to, to, to alienate people. And we realize that it's, it's not life, it's death. So the gospel is fundamentally about authority to say the kingdom of God is here. And whoever would bow their knee can enter in to the good and glorious reign of King Jesus, who really is king. So... Will we be a people in a church who not only declare Jesus as Lord with our lips, but live as though Jesus is Lord with our lives? Jesus himself calls us to submit to authority in the world and to steward the authority he has given to us. Last week, um, I read the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. I want to do that as much as possible because this fundamental question and answer is at the core of why we called this series Not Your Own, Real Freedom in the Age of Self. Catechism is just a tool throughout church history to try and shape the minds of Christians so that they would actually believe and stand on the truths of Scripture. So this one says, what is the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism? What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. This is the answer but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, 
to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and will make me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. You should memorize that question and answer. That day by day, you could, you could recall to mind the beautiful truths of the gospel because, did you catch the end there? Not only are we saved by Jesus, he pays for our sin, he fills us with his spirit, that we would become the kind of followers who can actually obey him willingly. In Titus 3, the Apostle Paul presents us with commands of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are often not willing to obey. It's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see that that impulse in us to not obey is a suicidal impulse rather than the one that God would invite us to that brings life. So, the first parts of Titus declare the beautiful truths of the gospel, that Jesus is our Savior who gave himself in love for us and cleansed us from unrighteousness and gives us eternal life. And then, like many of the New Testament letters, the Apostle Paul, or the, the author, moves on to instructing us how to live in light of those truths. And so, back at verses 1 and 2, remind them, Titus, to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. We'll stop there. This follows the common pattern, and the Holy Spirit, through Paul, tells us that in order to honor Jesus with our lives, we need to submit to worldly authority over us. To proclaim faith in Jesus is to give him authority in your life. To say, I will not reject these commands out of hand, but I'll wrestle with them. I'll seek to understand them, and I'll seek to obey them. A practical way, this is just stating what this says. A practical way that we give our lives to Jesus is by willingly obeying worldly authority over us. I'm going to read off a bunch of different passages in the New Testament so that we would see this is fundamental to the Christian life, not like secondary or tertiary. Romans 13, 1 and 2, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, whether they be Biden or Trump. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You can't say, I'll resist the world and be blessed by God. Hebrews 13, this is speaking in the church, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. In the church, there's authority structure. 
that we're called to submit to and entrust ourselves to as those who are responsible for us. It's kind of awkward as a pastor to, to tell you God has put authority structure in the church, but I would be an unfaithful shepherd to hide stuff like this from you. What about in the home, in marriage? Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'm not breaking down how this all works out. I'm just putting it before you to say, this is there. God does require this of his people. But in Ephesians 5.25, God says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are called by Jesus Christ to die for their wives and then Jesus comes along, or uh, the Spirit comes along and says, and, and wives, submit yourself to that love. What about parents? Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents don't have authority over their kids because they're better or more mature. Parents have authority over kids because God has given it to them. So as parents... We don't get to, to be offended by our kids and then retributively punish them. We discipline them without anger as those entrusted with the authority to discipline for the sake of our kids' souls and bodies and minds that they would learn to be submissive to authority in a world that will crush them if they're not. Ephesians 6.5 speaks about workers and boss relationships, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Bond servants were those who had agreed to terms with someone who would be their master for a given amount of time and be paid and compensated and cared for in that um, relationship. God calls us to be submissive to our bosses. Authority is given in the world because God is a God of order, not chaos. And the truth is, no matter what Disney movies tell us, authority is good. Note that Scripture doesn't even put preconditions on this submission. It merely says submit. Don't you just love that word? <laughs> submit. I wake up every morning... As I'm making my coffee, just reflect, God, would you give me more authority over me that I could submit more of my time and money and energy to further obligations they would hold over me? We're fundamentally at our core, like America, about rejecting authority. We broke away from England. We rejected authority fundamentally, right? There's still, uh, D.C., their license plates still say taxation without representation as a jab at our country, saying we have to pay you taxes and we have no representation because they don't have a house in the Senate, they don't have, or a seats in the Senate, and whatnot. They're, we're fundamentally trying to skirt ourselves, kick away at the goads of those who could have us be obligated to them. You need to realize that that has been shaped and formed in you by a world that wants to profit off of that rebellion. 
the world, Satan, have, they're overjoyed that you would try and isolate yourself from authority structure in the world. Because when you're isolated, you are subject to their rules, which are about your destruction and monetizing off of you. I mean, the, the, the whole opposite of authority structure is isolation and chaos. If you, have, uh, if you have a smartphone in your pocket, you might believe that that presents you with the freedom of information, and yet people are paying billions of dollars to use that tool in your pocket to manipulate your behavior and profit off of you. Just watch The Social Dilemma, and the founders of these very large corporate tech companies say, I don't even let my kids use this stuff. We might not live under the tyranny of an oppressive government, at least in some ways, but we are still under the tyranny of power structure in our world. So, how do we deal with this as Christians? Um, people who love Jesus are free to live under and submit to worldly authority. How? Knowing that all authority on earth has been placed there by their loving Lord. We, if you are a Christ follower, the very reason you are free from getting offended and having that rebellious knee-jerk reaction kick up within you is because you know the one who's in authority over that authority. And he's good. And he's loving. He laid down his life for you. He used his authority to die in service of you and bring you life. So, so now we think that some little authority structure is going to get in the way of his loving hand. We're going to get to what happens with abuse of authority in a minute. But for now, we can assess ourselves. We can allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to just lift up to the surface ways that we might be sinfully rebellious, believing that autonomy is our right when God calls us to godly submission to authority he put over you and me. So there's hard rebellion, right? There's breaking the law, storming the capital. We don't get to do that as believers. Here's another thing. A new president will not bring the kingdom of God. They're completely distinct in the way that they use power in the world and where their sources of power come from. And so we could be passionate about politics, but we ought not believe that through a new politics will the kingdom of God come. And so political parties jab back and forth at each other, and Christians in those political parties say, how could you be a Christian and follow Jesus and believe and allow this? How could you be a Christian and allow politics that could embrace that? We're, we're being duped to believe that real power comes through worldly structure to bring about the kingdom of God. It will never happen. Jesus will come back. And he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. There's hard rebellion. Jesus himself submitted to uh, actual governing authorities. In John 19, 11, after Pontius Pilate has said, you better abide by what I'm saying and cooperate with me. Don't you know I have authority to kill you or set you free? Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all 
unless it had been given to you from above. Friends, if the God of the universe was so utterly free and able to trust his Father in heaven with an evil Roman governor who he knew would kill him, we too can be free to submit to those over us in the Lord. Um, practical example of my sin. This week, government rolled out its free COVID test policy, right? Four COVID tests to every household. Woohoo! Except me, my sinful rebellion, said four tests per house, per address, not per person. Wait, I got a family of five. I can't even test everyone in my house. It's not fair that a single person living on their own can get four tests, and I can't get four tests. I also live in an empty apartment. And so rather than submit myself under the rules and governance and wisdom of, of uh, the authorities over me, I get one for myself at our apartment. And then I try and do my wife's at our apartment, and it says, one's already been done for, for this apartment. No one lives in apartment three. Kate Duell. She's right here. You know what? No one lives in apartment five either. Hudson Duell. My 10-year-old. I will be getting 12 tests in the mail from the government and figuring out how to give away eight of those tests in repentance. I'm dead serious, you guys. That's so innocent, right? It's so innocent, it's understandable, but then in a year when someone moves in there, they're going to be like, oh, apartment five, we already sent you tests. Impact, right? Honoring God, listening. There's not just that hard authority, though. There's, there's or hard rebellion. There's soft rebellion. Titus gets into this in verse 2. He says, without gossip, without slandering, respecting the way that we use our tongues, even though our bodies are subjected to the government, can rebel against the ones in authority over us. Christians care what they post on Twitter and Facebook because they know Jesus is in charge and their discontent with worldly authority is actually discontent with him. So rather than pray and say, Lord, help, Christians feel freedom to wear Let's Go Brandon shirts. You aren't aware of what that means. It's innuendo to say F Biden. Okay, we're not permitted to do that. Now, what that doesn't mean is we don't speak truth about evil. When those over us abuse their authority, Submitting to authority is not laying down and doing nothing or turning a blind eye from abuses of power. Jesus hates abuse of authority. He died under the hand of abusive authority so that he would disarm abusive authority and one day banish abusive authority. God hates that people with power use it for themselves rather than in service of those entrusted to their care. And so 
We should protest evil. We should see George Floyd under the knee of a police officer dying and protest and demand change. We should see policies that are harmful in the midst of COVID and push back. But again, we cannot believe that that resistance will bring about the kingdom of God rather than normative flourishing among us. So when we protest, we don't get to throw stuff at police officers. We don't get to slander leaders in government who make policies we don't agree with. Um, in the church, uh, I met Jesus in a church that someone would later call the most abusive, coercive church culture I've ever worked with, who was a professional at helping and, and uh, under, not undermining, but uh, healing abusive church cultures. Spiritual abuse is insidious in ways that others are not because it's so unseen and manipulative. And so in the same way, godliness and character and accountability are prerequisites in the church. So what does this kind of subversive resistance look like? Um, I'm going to read from a, a story from church history. Church history is helpful for us. St. Sebastian lived in the third century in Rome. Um, much of the scripture I've read for you about submission was in far worse circumstances than we find ourselves in today. Um, emperors were committed to the murder of Christians. Christians did not storm the emperor's palace seeking to overthrow him and install a Christian emperor. Christians did things like St. Sebastian. When Sebastian was still a teenager, he joined the Roman army. He didn't really want to be a soldier. He was a Christian, and the emperor Diocletian had ordered his army to find all the Christians and kill them. So Sebastian joined the army to try and help the Christians the emperor wanted to kill. Sebastian turned out to be a good soldier, so he was quickly promoted to the Praetorian Guard, the elite troop that guarded the emperor himself. It was Sebastian's job to protect the man who was killing his friends. Even stranger, the emperor grew to like him. But whenever he could steal away, Sebastian spent all his free time with the Christians who were waiting to be executed with the Roman in the Roman prisons. When they were killed, he buried them, even though the emperor had declared it a crime to give a Christian proper burial. A Roman jailer, Nicostratus, noticed Sebastian's faith. The jailer's wife, Zoe, hey, in the back, baby Zoe, hadn't been able to speak for years, so he asked Sebastian to pray. As soon as Sebastian did, she could speak again. So Nicostratus brought all the, his other prisoners to hear Sebastian talk about Jesus, and all of them were baptized, including Zoe and Nicostratus. That's the kind of insidious effect that God intends his people to have in the midst of evil power structures in the world. Sebastian didn't assassinate the emperor. He did something more. He allowed the darkness to go on and then shine the light of Jesus in the midst of it that other people would see and be saved and healed. That the kingdom of God could shine really bright when the darkness is really dark. If we could understand how quick 
God will honor the kind of godly submission under authority in the world, believing that we are not our own, but belong to God, so authority is better than autonomy. What might God do? Because the only alternative is for you not to be enslaved to power structures, but to be enslaved to your passions. Titus 3.3 tells us, end of our text, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Don't buy the lie that kicking against authority structure over you is somehow this godly exercise of your own American freedom. It's actually you putting your hands in the shackles of your own heart and the passions of your flesh that Jesus died to free you from. So, if you have not uh, turned to Jesus Christ, that you could experience the kind of freedom that Titus is speaking about here. If you could never imagine being so free that whatever your worldly circumstances may look like, you can have peace and rest and joy, I would simply invite you to Jesus to say, Jesus, if you really are here in a way that, that the scriptures are saying and that I'm hearing and that these people are embodying, I want in. Because the way into Jesus is faith that is fundamentally surrendered to Jesus. And that's the best place that we could be because the truth is you're enslaved. Addiction is rampant. We all have our ways of coping, and Jesus wants to free us from those. If you're a Christian, this is a daily exercise in repentance and saying, Lord, I'm going to mess up my life today. I'm going to sin my brains out if I don't freshly surrender to you and remember I am your servant. I don't belong to myself. And as we live that life of repentance, guess what starts to happen? Jesus not only gives us peace and joy in our submission to authority, he begins to teach us how to steward his authority. I wonder if you have ever experienced profound spiritual authority in your life. Um, whether it's the normative authority of being able to tell people they can be saved by looking to Jesus and trusting him. That's a kind of spiritual authority. You have been entrusted with a message as an ambassador of heaven on earth that is true for all people at all times. Did you know Jesus is available to you and can deliver you from sin and misery like the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism? You have that authority. But beyond that, there is a real spiritual authority that God gives to his people who are surrendered to his purposes. It starts with prayer and beginning to learn the heart of God. The first thing we submit to is just sitting quietly with God. We can't even do that. We're so enslaved to our passions and desires, fam. You see, submission to Jesus is the and the only prerequisite 
to him increasing your spiritual authority in your everyday life. And I'm not talking about figurative, you can be saved in Jesus kind of spiritual authority. You being able to pray for people and the Holy Spirit being, I will hear that prayer. We've seen it over the years in our existence as a church where people get healed. People see the Lord. They experience deliverance from demonic oppression. Will we choose to say, this is not just about me submitting to structure. It's about me submitting to the Lord so that I could then have authority that he desired to entrust to me and not abdicate the authority he wants to give to me. You're not just a citizen of heaven for your own joy and fulfillment. He wants the commons LA and everyone sitting in my hearing and me and my kids and your future kids and your classmates who don't know him yet to become so aware of the kingdom of God and have Jesus be their lived reality that they walk out into darkness and say, you don't need to live like that. And, and you're not defined by your sin if you would trust Jesus Christ. And the bondage to addiction and slavery and even mental health in some cases is something we need not live with if the Lord would answer our prayers and if the Holy Spirit would simply fill us with the wisdom we need to be his ambassadors. So when we pray for Ellie to go overseas, we are praying that God would make her fruitful, that God would bring her peace and sustain her and give her everything that she needs, but also that in the midst of a world that will feel very different, the Holy Spirit would practically guide her, speak to her, lead her, and teach her what she ought to say in the moments that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven through her. And so I wonder if we followers of Jesus in the room, we who have said, Jesus, I am in, have, have fully understood what his calling on us is. A famous Christian pastor said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And in a consumer culture, it is the easiest thing in American evangelicalism to come in for an experience and go on your way for yourself. And God forbid we ever become a church that is content to be a spiritual goods and services provider. When God wants to teach you to hear the voice of his Holy Spirit, to know what is true, to know the heart of God, to speak out the heart of God, and to watch the Spirit of God actually bring deliverance in our city. I don't want to be a pastor if it's just... I can make you feel good. Like psychologically, your sins are forgiven and when you die, you'll go to heaven. We want heaven now and here. We want the homeless that are out of their mind and spiritually oppressed to be freed from demons. In Luke 10, 17, the 72, it says, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The 72, not the apostles, the believers. Christian, 
You have authority. God wants to train you in it. He wants to teach you to steward it. He wants to reshape your joy that you could sacrifice your comfort, your nights of entertainment, whatever it might be that he would call you to, that you could become a powerful ambassador for his kingdom. Are you willing? That's the one prerequisite. Willing surrender. And every one of you is capable of it. I know it. So, here is my invitation. Um, let today be the day of repentance and awakening to the glorious vocation God wants to give you. That you would be so free in the joy and peace of Jesus to submit to authority structure over you, knowing that the passions of your flesh are worse than the authority structures of the world, but also to take up the authority God wants to entrust to you and to say, I will not abdicate my responsibility to be an ambassador as a child of God. It's a sin of omission to do so. Because the devil is totally comfortable with a church that is content to gather on Sundays for kumbaya as long as it keeps its mouth shut, its wallet closed, and its prayers small during the week. The world just needs more than that. And God is offering us more than that. Will we be courageous in our self-denial or cowardly, even though we have the weapons to storm the gates of hell that Jesus gave us the keys to? That's it.